Jordan Lutis has been, without a doubt, achieved legendary status. <laughs> Known primarily as the keyboardist for Progressive Metal Masters Dream Theater, Jordan has also been featured on 16 Dream Theater albums, as well as projects with Rod Morgenstein, Tony Levin, and Marco Miniman. Jordan has also released 15 solo albums and developed countless music-based apps for mobile devices. He's about to hit the road for his From Bach to Rock musical journey, and I am super psyched to talk to Jordan Rudis on the show. So, uh, Jordan, it's good to talk to you again. Oh, it's great to talk to you. Glad we could coordinate this. I am too. You know, it's so funny. Coordinating these things I know can be kind of a headache, especially when someone like you has so much on their plate and you've got so much to do. Like, you know, you must must feel kind of pulled apart at times. Like, how do you deal with that? Uh, well, it's interesting. You know, I, the, the way that I deal with it is I'm very passionate about all the things that I do. Uh-huh. So that's kind of like my driving energy is just really a love for the various things, you know, like whether it's making apps or playing solo concerts or with Dream Theater or, you know, it, it, this is just who I am and what I'm all about. So uh, that's what get, that's what gets it done, you know. Well, so I have to say, first off, I was a little shocked that an East Coast boy was calling me from California and even more shocked and I have to say kind of disappointed that this tour that you're doing is basically West Coast <laughs> so yeah. first first yeah. off what happened to the East Coast buddy <laughs> well um, actually the, the um, this particular solo piano um, concert outing that was a little experiment that actually first happened in a, uh, in a few States on the East Coast. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's a new it's a new thing. So we're kind of taking our time and seeing what works and what doesn't work. And uh, what I did originally is I played in New York and in Massachusetts and in um, Pennsylvania. So and it was it was you know it was something that I enjoyed and it did work. So there'll be more to come. You know, it's just a question of it kind of rolling out more slowly. Um, so yeah, just, we just have to stay patient and, uh, you know, and I'm putting a lot of energy behind these shows. So in the future, I can do more of them. This is really an interesting concept because I remember when we first talked a while ago and then even when we talked when last time you guys were in Atlanta, you were telling me about how yeah. you were doing these little like kind of re- residence shows type things like you know, doing some shows in New York, like you said and everything. Um, were those actually like structured performances? Like, do you go into those with with a with a structure, or because I also know that as an artist, one of the things I love about your um, social media presence is that you tend to kind of sometimes bring out an almost mood based improvisational thing, you know. So, are the shows more like that, or are the shows more? sculpted and more you know more defined well the um the Bach to rock solo piano shows are it's pretty defined okay uh, yeah I go in there with a plan with a set list you know of course there's improvisation mixed into it all but uh, you know in general I'm it, it's a it's kind of a, a Jordan Ruta's journey if you will it starts from uh, you know even before I went to Juilliard and kind of g- gets into the, my whole time at Juilliard and you know I play some I play some things that uh, relate to that period and tell some stories about uh, what happened back then uh, you know, things like when uh, my classical music teacher 
came uh, and took my music away after playing a Chopin ballad for one week and said, if you study with me, you have to memorize this, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like, and moving into my whole love for synthesizers, and but all expressed from the piano, which is really cool. So I'll play, like, literally play some Bach, I'll play some Chopin, I'll do uh, some, you know, cover songs from my favorite prog tunes, things that influenced me a whole lot, like, uh, you know, a King Crimson song, maybe a Genesis tune. And, of course, uh, you know, moving into uh, some LTE and uh, a touch of Dream Theater and some original stuff, too. So it's, it's a progression. It's definitely, a, you know, a plan. And within that plan, there's a lot of room for, you know, the spirit of improvisation, certainly. That's really cool to hear because one of the things I love that you kind of um, coined this as was that it's a musical journey. So obviously, is, is it safe to say that the show is kind of conceptualized in the sense that it, it, it starts out at the beginning and kind of ends at the, like, the now, like where you're at now, and then co covers all in between? It really it, it is very much like that, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I just try to take people through my world. You know, it's been it's been a uh, it's been a long, strange trip. <laughs> so, but it's been you know it's been really fun, and I've covered and I you know since I play so many different styles of music, I just you know love to share that. And doing it at the piano is like a home base for me. You know, with the piano, with a, with a nice grand piano, I can express so much. You know, so it's the uh, it's a perfect way to kind of tell the story and to bring people into my various uh, stylistic worlds and uh, have some fun and do some good sharing. Because you know, as a musician myself, I you know I, in, in my band I generally play electric guitar and some acoustic guitar also. But I also know that when that transition is made from playing an electric instrument to an acoustic instrument, it really it's almost kind of like you've shed some clothing a little bit. You do feel a little more naked. You know what I mean? So totally. like, like, yeah. like is, is that kind of, is that something <clears throat> that when you initially started doing these things that you had to kind of adjust to, or was it an easy transition for you being that the piano, you know, being like you said, like, like such a huge part of you? Yeah. That's a great question because, you know, it def the piano is definitely a home base. So in many ways, I feel, you know, as comfortable with that instrument as anywhere else, you know, on the planet or in any other musical situation. Mm -hmm. But that said, this show is, you know, it's somewhat about challenges. Uh, and I guess to give an example is that, you know, I want to express things using that instrument that really show the whole range of what I've done, what I've been through. So... Like, I'll do a piece like I'll take Dream Theater's Dance of Eternity, uh -huh. and I'll, you know, and I'm playing, that's one of the tunes that I'm playing on this, on this solo piano tour. And that is definitely not a solo piano piece, but, you know, I spent time with it and, and, uh, you know, kind of reconceptualized it to make it something that would really work in the piano. So, in that case, yeah, it's kind of like being naked. It's, 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 you know, putting myself out there to try something that is challenging because it's a hard piece to play all the different parts, you know, <laughs> but, um, but, it, but it's really fun. And I think the end result for me, like putting it together has been very satisfying. Um, but it's certainly, 
um, something that's not necessarily, oh, you know, just, I'm just going to, you know, improvise this or whatever, and it'll just be flowing. It's something that is a little bit challenging for the audience because it's asking them to hear maybe a song that they have heard in a, you know, a different way, in a brand new way. And it's, you know, and it's technically challenging uh, for me as well. I mean, even playing the parts in the band, and that's one of the, that's one of the pieces that, you know, does have its challenges about it. But certainly playing it all on the piano is another is another level of uh, fun, shall we say. Yeah, it, and it, it kind of goes back to that, um, the, the Notes on a Dream album. Like, I remember the first time I heard that album, hearing songs like, you know, Another Day, in that kind of sparseness, you know, that it, 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 it really kind of... Like you said, it, it, it's more exposing of the song in general without having to hear all of the, you know, the goodies and the tricks that, and the little toys that you have that make everything dream theater that it usually is. But to just hear it really brought down into its core, it, it, it gives the listener the chance to hear these songs like in such a bare bone setting were there any particular songs that you attempted that you were like yeah there's no way in hell this is going to work um there's definitely songs that are kind of like that that i wouldn't necessarily even take on um you know i mean anything anything could be you know i could do an arrangement of anything but certainly you know like take a big epic song breaking all illusions that one might be like even harder to do than dance of eternity so the further the more of a kind of like crazy progressive band arrangement something is the harder it's going to be to bring down to just piano but also you know in some ways that could be very fun it's a matter of it's a matter of time really but the other thing about the piano and that i like to take advantage of and that i do uh take advantage of on on uh this you know these all these concerts is that to me the piano piano music has a certain kind of a uh, resonance or a voice or, and I am very sensitive to what sounds the best on the piano uh-huh. so a lot of times when I'm playing arrangements I'll take the approach of you know kind of understanding you know what what um, musicality can be brought out of a piano it's almost like when you look at different composers and some of them write better for piano than other others do like uh, Chopin was an amazing composer for the piano or Debussy beautiful piano music and others were maybe a little bit more off awkward so, uh-huh. so most everything that i play i try to really uh do it with the understanding of the way the piano really sounds and what it means to be you know making music on that instrument you know and what one of the things that i always thought was really interesting to me and um and i'm i'm, I'm hoping you've heard this before but in speaking to some of my friends who are very good who are very like huge dream theater fans one of the things that we've always discussed is the fact that it's kind of understated the amount of heaviness that you bring to dream theater. You know, so obviously there's this Dr. Jekyll side of Jordan Rudis, you know what I mean? Where it's just like, you know, where you've got the classical influence, but there's also, a, a, you, know, you, you've, you know, you've got some heavy inspiration and, you know, influences in there. Um, what, what are, like, where do you find that line, if that makes sense, to say like, I want to cross that line and push it into that kind of progressive metal side, but at the same time, like I want to find a way to still maintain my 
classical composure, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, that's, that's the, all, the, all of that is interesting to hear you say and things that come up, and I think about it uh, a bit. I mean, if I'm sitting at a piano, <clears throat> I mean, obviously, with my two hands, I can express so much, but, like, just getting back to the to the to what you're saying with you know my relationship with kind of the heavier side of dream theater mm-hmm. a lot of people yeah they don't they don't even realize they people really don't know what parts i write and what parts like john bertucci writes or you know a lot of people think that they might but i think they would be surprised that you know some some of the heavy riffs that are not even necessarily played on keyboards might be written by me right some of the really beautiful or some of the really beautiful little you know piano melodies might be written by Petrucci. so in that sense you know we're all you know composers that are just you know writing for the medium that we're trying to express ourselves in and i you know and the other part about being a keyboard player outside of the piano is that there's very there has to be very little ego involved and i say that because as a keyboardist especially in the metal band a lot of times it's about creating colors that just make things that either just make things work or it's about doing things like creating an orchestral sound or a choir sound or things that you know people wouldn't say oh that's a keyboard you know even if it's like a tremendous sounding you know uh, alternative kind of guitar patch mm-hmm. you don't even know it's the keyboard so i kind of have to erase my ego from anything and just do the parts that i think you know are going to sound really really cool so i mean there's like a i have an entire collection of super heavy sounds that i use uh, in a lot of the Dream Theater tunes that you wouldn't really even know because it just sounds like the guitar is maybe like bigger than life or not to take anything away from Petrucci's tone, which is the best in the world. But but still, there's like things that I'll add to that general sound to give it different character, whether it's the sound like that's more familiar to Dream Theater fans, like a snarling pig sound, which I've talked about, you know, it's like kind of a, a, a gnarly, you know, character. But there's a lot of those kind of things. So, um so my musical personality really morphs into a lot of different places. And I'm, especially these days, I'm very comfortable playing Bach. You know, I'm comfortable playing Chopin and I'm comfortable playing with really super heavy, you know, sounds as well. So it's just, you know, who I am and, and, uh, you know, what, and what I do. See, and I love, and I love that attitude too, because, um, about a year or so ago, I did um, a little I did a little personal musical experiment where I did an EP of just acoustic solo folk tunes. And what I did was I took heavy metal songs, some of my favorite metal songs, and yeah. just turned them into like tried to play them as just folk songs. And my takeaway from that was something that I feel like we forget, even as music lovers, is that no matter what you're listening to. It's yeah. all born of this same root. You know what I mean? Like, th- there's like this, like, very tribal, very ancient kind of like oldness to it before it gets added with the distortion and the drums and the keys and everything like that. You know, so yeah. it's, it's a really, well, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a really interesting thing to do. And so that's why I was super fascinated by this particular tour that you're going to do now are you planning to do some recordings of it so that the audience can kind of hear that same thing kind of hear those transitions and whatnot and experience it uh i haven't planned any like recording of it yet but i'm sure that 
that I will record some of these shows. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I haven't quite gotten there yet, but I definitely will. I like to, ca- you know, into capturing things and also sharing social media, and you'll definitely be at least elements of it that get, uh, you know, that get captured and then shared. You know, you have such this like you've kind of developed this or enveloped, I should say, this this very cosmic personality on stage where, you know, in, in your performance where people kind of call like refer to you as the wizard, you know, like was, was when, like, how, how did you react to that? Like when that kind of started to kind of become a thing, did you kind of think like, that's kind of weird or you were like, oh, I, I dig that, you know? You know that, yeah. I, I just think that that's kind of fun. I mean, the keyboard player thing has been kind of in that life for a while. I mean, you know, one of my biggest influences, along with Keith Emerson, was Rick Wakeman. You oh. know, he's, you know, doing doing the whole cape thing back in the day. And, <laughs> you know, that that relates to the whole kind of magical, mystical, you know, wizardry thing. And so, for people to look at, you know, uh, somebody like myself, is maybe the next generation of keyboard players, and give that kind of tag to, it's just like, wow, that's really cool. And especially because, you know, I like I like thinking about and I like I'm like playing into the whole magic, you know, wizardry side of of uh, you know art, whether it be with the music or whether it be with images or video. Um, that's that that is kind of like my world to play with, you know, the way things are viewed or shaped or you know perceived. So I love that and love it to the point where I, you know, I took that and like I started my company with the music with a Z and uh, have a lot of fun with that kind of tag. And just, you know, just, and also I was lucky enough to um, be friends a wonderful musician and graphic uh, visual designer, uh, Mika Titka, this uh, uh, Finnish um, guy who created the, you know, the wizard, the JR wizard, character um, and that that you know people love that i actually i'm making some buttons of that character now so uh you know so that'll be really fun so when you go to the shows you can have those available oh please put it on a shirt <laughs> there you go. There you go. right right totally yeah. so to, to kind of go into the dream theater thing one of the things i wanted to ask you is because especially after the last time we met was after the the astonishing performance here in Atlanta. Um, the astonishing album really kind of re- was was kind of received with a lot of mixed emotions, even from yeah. myself as, as a as a longtime fan. Kind of heard it, and I was kind of like, I no, oh, I don't know, but. When I saw it live, with the media, with the visuals, with the whole everything that played into the concept, it just kind of like, all of a sudden, it just made a lot of sense to me. Um, was, was that a, a pretty general consensus from other, that you heard a good bit on the road with that particular tour? Yeah, definitely. I hear that a ton. I mean, first of all, we spent more time putting that show together and the music together than most anything we've ever done. It was probably the, the grandest production, shall we say, that we've pulled off. Uh-huh. And it was, you know, it was, brave, it was brave for us to do that because whenever a band, especially a band with a big catalog, goes out and just says, okay, we're just doing this album, you know, that's a big statement, that's a big move, and it's risky. So, <clears throat> but, you know, within that, 
there's a lot of people that kind of have said exactly what you what you just expressed. And the other side of it is that every day now I hear people saying, oh, you know, when I first heard The Astonishing, I didn't get it. Or I wasn't that into it. But now I listen to it. And oh, my God, it's a masterpiece. So and I love that because and I still don't expect everybody to like it because, you know, it's still it gets kind of mellow and, you know, goes in and out of things a lot. And it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's music that was composed as like a rock opera. So it's not your standard song. Right. So but given all that, you know, there's so many people that you know when given when they give it the time they're coming back and saying wow this is really really cool and it's amazing and i didn't get it at first but i love it and i like that because some of my very favorite albums in the world whether it be like you know close to the edge uh, by yes or uh-huh. freehand by dental giant i mean i didn't i didn't like it the first time really i just kind of listened and went oh that's you know it's interesting and then you hear, then it's, it's interesting enough that you go back and listen to it again and after about four or five listens, you go, wow, this is really cool. And you kind of like, you know, you start getting the depths of it, you start understanding the intricacies and it becomes a favorite. So, you know, time, time will kind of tell, I guess, with the astonishing where, where it really falls in the history books. But even to this point, I'm pleased with the fact that a lot of people are realizing that there's a lot to it and, you know, and it's, there's something really to appreciate. It really was, because it was one of those kinds of things that when I went to the show, I was like, you know, I'm going to go to the show because I'm a fan, and obviously I want to see my boy Jordan, you know, and hey, hey, hey. But when I was sitting in the back and I was taking that show in, like song after song, yeah. it was almost like I was finally, it, it was hitting me, and I was like, wow. I'm getting it in a way that I didn't get when I was trying to sit down and listen to it. But kind of like the same way that I didn't get Rush when I was 10, but then when I was like 17, I got it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's all about being in a different place when you hear it. Right. Right. And it's, you know, this music, this progressive genre that we enjoy, it's not meant to be necessarily like immediate, like, you know, a pop song. That's, that's music that's just made for like you know the kind of like uh so the average kind of you know person on the street or whatever to absorb quickly where prog as we know and prog metal gets a little bit deeper and you do and you take risks and you have challenges and it's intricate and you know the fact that it takes people a little while to get something you know, that's what it is you know uh, I've had a friend who's been trying to get me into King Crimson um, since we met back in like 2006. It took me to yeah. see them on this last tour for me to just go, oh my fucking God, this is what, okay, now I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And now I'm like, a, now I'm a Crimson freak. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it took that long, you know, and for me to see them in like that specific lineup and that specific night, you know, to really get that and I love that well one of the other things I also wanted to touch base with you that I loved was that on this Images and Words tour um, uh, I'm good friends with um, uh, a guy named Luis who runs the North American Fan Club uh, uh, Dream yeah. Theater Fan Club and he had meetups um, in Atlanta for the um, for the Astonishing show and did um, one in Asheville and you actually I think you and James uh, show, or was it you and James that actually went up and, and got to like, yeah, took some right. time That's out? Right. I remember that. You walked yeah. up to see that. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. like like 
how how is it for you to go to something like that and to interact with the fans and to kind of see that you know like I could only b imagine what it would be like to have a Don fan club you know what I mean where people actually even care to meet me you know what I mean so like for you, for you to go to something like that like was it a cool experience for you to kind of interact with the fans in that kind of setting well I find that the Dream Theater fans are some of the coolest people I mean I gotta tell you, like I've been hanging out here <clears throat> on the West Coast doing an artist in residency at Stanford University, uh -huh. and I walk around the campus, and like every day, like somebody will walk up to me, like, "Oh my God, like are you Jordan Rudis? Like I love Dream Theater, man. I'm so into your music." And I'm like, "Wow!" And it's, and you know, I mean, Stanford maybe is not the best example because Stanford is, you know, the top college like in the whole world. <laughs> I find it. I find that the, I find that the Dream Theater fans are just a great, you know, intelligent bunch of people out there doing cool stuff. I mean, you know, ninety percent of the time when I run into a fan, it's like I'll take the time and I'll say, like, well, you know, great that you love, you know, what what Dream Theater is and what I do, but what do you do? And I and you know, a lot of times they're doing something really cool. You know, maybe if it's just like computer programming or some other thing in the arts, or you know, I'm just interested in what people do and i appreciate to get the feedback so um i mean i'm i'm very social in that way especially you know with like social media and stuff i enjoy that interaction and the engagement and i look for that it's fun for me and uh you know and in person if i can go walk into a room and there's people who are into the music i'm i'm you know fascinated i'm open to uh <clears throat> understanding and and enjoying you know that that whole interaction i think it's great i think i love that what you just said about that that you show an interest yourself and like a natural interest in what your your fans are are doing themselves because i can also imagine that as an artist to hear what other people are doing um you know, like being a musician myself, like I tell people all the time, like I never feel like I've, I, I, I'm, I, I'm not inspired enough. You know what I mean? So like I always like to hear what people are doing. So for someone like you, that must be the same kind of concept where like you can hear these things and you can think like, wow, like that's kind of cool. Like I might want to try something like that. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely you know, meeting people and being open and even like, you know, social media, because that's kind of where things are out these days. That is a big part of who I am as a person and what I value. Because I see music as a way to not only be kind of a healer or a way to meditate in my own, you know, just for myself in my own world, but also music to me is a way to reach out and to bring other people in and to, you know, try to be in tune with them. I know that sounds somewhat spiritual, but it is. And the reason I make music is because I want to, you know, put the music out there and I want to get something back, you know, this feedback loop. And, you know, it brings, and it's a way to bring, uh, to bring myself. It's a, it's a way for an artist to bring themselves closer to other people. And so uh, that's why, that's why I do it. You know, it would be awkward to me if I put out music, you know, and then at the same time I didn't want to meet anybody or didn't care to be engaged. <laughs> it would almost be like, it would be, I wouldn't even begin to understand that, you know? 
So that's so, interesting because that, you know, that, that's kind of like the, the, the uh, I, I call it the Neil Peart syndrome, you know, where it's like you, know, you get the Neil Peart guy who's like, you know, who puts out all this incredible music and he's like wowed fans forever and he has like zero interest in interacting. And as someone who has social anxiety or issues, like I totally understand that. But at the same time, I always looked at that and I'm, go I'm going like, you know, for, for as socially awkward as I am, if someone wants to talk music, you can put me in a corner for an hour and I'll talk to you happily. You enjoy that. But that's the thing. Like, you know, the goal, I think, as a person is to be as open and as comfortable as possible. You know, so for any, any of us, like I'm a little shy too. Uh -huh. But at the same time, music helps me kind of break out of that. And it just allows me not only to perform and to express myself there, but even in a greater sense to open up and to be part of the world and to, you know, and feel relaxed and comfortable and in, and in tune. So not only am I sharing my music, which is an extension of me, but I'm also, you know, in a higher level, just sharing who I am, you know? So I really, I really feel that. You know, it's funny. I was looking back at, at, at our history together, Jordan, and the first time I interviewed you and met you was in 2011 when you guys were at the Tabernacle. And that night, you, I, I was so ecstatic and I was so honored because you showed me a brand new app that you were just working on and you, that was coming out in about 10 days. It was, it was the Geosynthesizer <laughs> app. Uh, and wow. like, obviously, you know, seven years or six years, seven years is a long time. Like, what, what is on the forefront for you right now as far as app development and how have you grown since like doing things like the GSN and things like that? Well, that's, uh, that's great that you bring that up because uh, you know, Geosynthesizer was an important application for me and it led to a lot of really cool things. And actually my latest um, kind of family of apps is based around the playing surface idea of Geosynthesizer and um, it's called GeoShred. GeoShred is really an, another beast but if somebody looks at it they'll say oh it looks a little like Geosynthesizer. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, a partnership that I have with some of the people that I met out of my relationship with Stanford University and uh, it's been really really awesome to work with these guys it's based on a technology called physical modeling, which is another way to produce sound, uh -huh. you know, like the sampling and subtractive synthesis or FM uh, synthesis, which actually Stanford and other people who developed that. Um, and then it's physical modeling. And so this new application, the sound engine is based on physical modeling and the playing surface is based on some ideas that I've been developing since the days of geosynthesizer with some uh, wonderful partners. Um, so it's, this has been you know, another area that I've been so involved with, kind of like this this um, exploration or kind of search for ways of expressing, uh, you know, expressing oneself on, on modern instruments. Like, how do we take technology and how do we use it to be more expressive? So that's, that's why I started this company. I wanted to kind of do research and create instruments that would extend the ability for us as human beings to interact using technology mm -hmm. to make really expressive, organic, great musical instruments. So wisdom music has functioned, you know, in that way for me. So my latest, um, the, the family of apps is this one called GeoShred, and it's a GeoShred Pro, uh, and that has all the features. It has MIDI, um, it has full editing capabilities, and then there's one called GeoShred Q, 
control. Control is just a MIDI um, controller. It will. It's one of the most powerful MIDI controllers out there today. It has a kind of MIDI that's called MPE, um, and that allows you to have each finger kind of have its own expression individually. So those people who know about like MIDI, you know, if you play a chord like on a standard keyboard synthesizer and you move the pitch wheel, like everything moves, like the whole chord moves. But with this kind of technology, you could play a chord, but you could move only one note. You'd have a three-note chord and move only one note or maybe change the filter of another note. So it gets, you know, it gets pretty pretty um, expressive and pretty deep. So, uh, and then there's GeoFred Play, which is without all the editing capabilities, without any uh-huh. of the mating capabilities. All of these applications are available in the iOS uh, app store. So they'll run on the iPhone or they'll run on the iPad as well. And it's been really, really, you know, a great journey doing that, especially these days when I'm, you know, out here at Stanford and learning myself and sharing. And uh, it's been it's been really wonderful. You know, and then I can also only imagine that from, you know, your cassette release of Arrival <laughs> to like now, wow. like for you to see, you know, technology, you know, kind of but like make its way into music, but for you to embrace it as it came along. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's some people out there, especially musicians, that, that are kind of skeptical and almost, um, almost like, you know, not willing to embrace technology. Um, do, do you wish you would see, you could see more of that in other musicians? Um, yeah, I really do. I mean, it's been my path. You know, I left Juilliard when I was 19 and I part of the part of the reason I left is because it meant so much to me to move a pitch wheel on a synthesizer or to turn a knob and hear the harmonics and the filter change and and I knew that that was just a part of my brain and it's you know playing the piano is wonderful and great but when I play on an electronic instrument it just kind of goes into another circuitry in my head and and that that was really valuable that is very valuable to me and I also remember I'm a real believer that technology is a way to reach a higher level of expression in music. I mean, you know, pianos, guitars, flutes, violins, wonderful instruments. You know, the human voice is probably the the highest level of them in many ways. But uh, when you think about what technology can offer to uh, the experience of making music, it's really, really exciting. And it's been my path to, uh, you know, to enjoy that, to be a player, but also play a role in developing that. And, um, yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, it's part of my gig or my job to kind of spread that, uh, um, you know, that magic around and let people, you know, understand and enjoy what can happen, you know, when we have these new kind of tools. And with that being said, now you've gone, like I said, now you've got all these tools. Now you're stripping it right back down to boxer briefs on the piano or whatever you know what i mean <laughs> like how excited how excited are you to hit the road with this right now it's so awesome i've been practicing so much and i love you know one of the things that's the foundation of my musical world is is that my technique i was lucky enough to study with you know some amazing uh teachers and be kind of in this lineage of uh you know some of the greatest piano teachers of the last 100 years is a um at the top of that pyramid is this woman whose name was Rosina Levine, who was my teacher's teacher, and um, she was Van Cliburn's teacher. And so, you know, that that 
skill of being able to use my fingers to play on a keyboard to express the ideas in my musical mind is, you know, the main kind of thing that I've been working on that, that I do. So for me to go to the core and to, to focus on the piano and to, you know, <clears throat> get totally into that and be working on my technique and working on Bach and Chopin and all these mm-hmm. things, it feels so great. And the other side of it is, is that it's so wonderful to walk into a venue and not have to really worry about plugging anything in and just have a really beautiful grand piano. <laughs> so that's kind of like the, other, the other side of my brain, you know, like or my my uh, my passion is just to be, you know, just to express myself on an acoustic instrument. And there's nothing like a beautiful, you know, like Steinway grand piano. I mean, it's just it's a special, um, you know, instrument, and it's it's I love creating in that in that particular zone. And it also makes sound check a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> oh my gosh, really, a whole lot easier. So yeah, it's just it's just a great thing for me. It just makes sense, you know. I've I've definitely come to uh, a great place as far as being at peace or at one with you know everything I've done mm-hmm. as far as like playing classical music and you know and all that. And I just I just you know it's all just a question of time, really. You know, if I had more time in the world, I'd be playing even more classical music and doing more. But I'm already kind of busy, so, uh, you know. So the last thing I want to ask, I wanted to talk to you about before we close out was uh, a good friend of yours who passed away a few years ago. It was Richard uh, Lanehart. And yeah. you had reached out to me and asked me to just give his material a listen. And, to, yeah. and if I was interested, maybe write a piece about him. And there were there were two levels to that. The first level was that I thought it was such a cool thing that you yourself personally reached out to anybody that you had contact with to kind of let us know about Richard. He was completely off my radar. I'd never heard, and I never realized what a strong connection and influence he was on you. And so that was a really special thing to see. But... Are there any other artists that are like that in your life that you would like the people that are listening to this to maybe you know, say like, hey, you know, go give this a listen, you know, and, 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 and give this a try because this is important to me? Well, I mean, somebody who um, was kind of related to the whole, uh, to the whole path, musical path with Richard is um, my friend Steve Horlick. You might have heard this album. My, my latest album is actually a collaboration with Steve uh, because Steve is, it's called Intersonic. Yes, um, yes, I did. And yes. it's out now. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's a musician that I have such respect for. He kind of, and he knew Richard. We all loved Richard. And my work with Steve is really an extension of what uh, I started with Richard. It was such a special part of my, my life. Mm-hmm. You know, if it wasn't for Richard, I wouldn't even be playing like the Continuum or who knows, I might not even be playing the Seaboard. He was just such a, first of all, he shared a driveway with me and he was a real guru, <laughs> technical guru, music guru. He was just somebody that could always advise me and, um, you know, make sure that my uh, technical desires were satisfied, whatever gear was out there, because he'd really keep an eye out, out, out on stuff for me and turn me on to cool stuff. So we kind of honor him, you know, all the time for who he was and, and what he did. Um, but I would say for anybody who wanted to, you know, people should definitely go out, especially if you're into electronic music and cool sounds, check out what Richard Lanehart, you know, left us on the planet. 
<clears throat> if you want to hear what I kind of did as as the further thought to those what I learned from Richard, then you know, check out Intrasonic and kind of see where all that is going as well. Well, fantastic. Well, I know the I know the fans are excited about this West Coast tour, and I'm excited for you. And uh, I, I can only hope that it'll it'll click and it'll take off and it'll make its way out here because I would love to be able to see this kind of uh, setting um, of you really taking these songs into this direction. Awesome. And the other thing I just want to add before we close up is the fact that for the keyboard players out there, I'm going to be doing my third uh, Keyfest. Keyfest is the what I like to call the ultimate hangout for um, keyboard players. We're going to be doing it at Sweetwater. Oh, uh, yeah, that's one right. Of, one of the, Where is that going to be again? Stores. It's going to be at Sweetwater Sound, which is in Fort Wayne, Indiana, one of the world's largest and coolest you know, music establishments, music stores. It's an incredible space with a theater and a whole catering hall and all these rooms and a great music store and just anything, you know, anything we want to put our hands on as keyword players will be there. So uh, definitely join me. Check it out. Um, it's going to be on April 20, 25th through 28th uh, this year. So April 25th to the 28th. Well, great. Well, awesome. Well, I'll be sure to make sure that there's a link to that as well and to your website. And, um, and again, I know you're a busy guy, and so I'm going to let you go. But thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to talk to this old schlep again. And uh, it's been great, Jordan. <laughs> awesome, man. It's been awesome to talk to you. I appreciate it. And uh, I will see you on the road. Great. Thank you so much. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.